Welcome to Purdue Crop Chat, a regular podcast from Hoosier Ag Today and the Purdue University Extension Service, featuring Purdue Extension Corn Specialist Dr. Bob Nielsen and Extension Soybean Specialist Dr. Sean Castile. On this Purdue Crop Chat, Episode 16, you can smell spring planting season in the air. I know that a lot of people like to pull the trigger as soon as they get into April. I've played the game of doing March planted beans, and it's just they've never worked well for, for me, at least in the central part of the state. If we're lucky and you know everything goes well for the next 30 days, we can start planting in the early parts of April, as long as the soils are fit. The next 30 days are really going to tell the story. This podcast is made possible by the Indiana Corn and Soybean Checkoffs. Corn and Soybean Checkoff dollars are being invested wisely to help bring dollars back to your farm. We do this by defending and growing domestic and international demand for corn, soybeans, and livestock products. In fact, every checkoff dollar U.S. soybean farmers have invested in international promotion has resulted in an $18 return back to the farm. Learn more about these programs by visiting indianasoybean.com slash movingthepile. Brought to you by Indiana Corn and Soybean Checkoff Dollars. Now your host for Purdue Crop Chat, Eric Pfeiffer. Boy, it is a beautiful day here in West Lafayette as we record this Purdue Crop Chat podcast on this Wednesday the 3rd. And I've got Bob Nielsen here, Purdue Extension Corn Specialist, and Dr. Sean Castile, Purdue Extension Soybean Specialist. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us on this beautiful day. I know it's hard to keep you from going outside. It is a glorious day. I drove the, the weekend and I thought, I'm just ready to see some activity. It just had that feel to it, the sun shining all the way through the day. But it's a, it's a great looking day. I'm thinking of pulling the planter out just to get everybody riled up. <laughs> Well, it, it was just a week ago. We had a whole bunch of snow on the ground here in West Lafayette. And uh, it was just a couple of weeks ago. We had some pretty extreme temperatures, some extreme weather come through the area. And I guess I want to revisit that here as we start this week's Purdue Crop Chat podcast. Uh, Sean, let's start with you. Some of the impacts from that extreme cold, that extreme weather that rolled through. Yeah, and I want to start with, I mean, we normally talk about corn and soybeans primarily, but I think we need to mention uh, the winter wheat and small grains that come into play with this. And so I had some questions a few weeks ago on this subject. And, you know, it's winter wheat for a reason. Uh, it can withstand cold temperatures. It goes through dormancy, but it can have damage from too cold of temperatures. And so what has to come into play with this is, okay, are, are, is that wheat still in dormancy? Uh, and what stage of growth is it in? And then how, how cold does it get and how cold uh, can it withstand? And so normally when we think about, you know, the dormant wheat, uh, 12 degrees Fahrenheit, I mean, anything there or, or higher uh, doesn't cause us any issue. And we go below that into the single digits. That's where we start to have some potential issues. But the issues are really at that point more about some some leaf tip burn. Uh, now, if it's cold single digits for a long time, then we kind of worry about coming into the growing point that is below the soil surface. But you mentioned it, we had snow too. Now, not everywhere had the same eight inches of snow that I had as I was uh, you know, shoveling out the driveway and kids were pushing it back in. But I think that we had a pretty good layer of insulation. That snow provides insulation to those uh, very cold temperatures. And so when we got into that, that case, even when we were single digits um, or even close to zero negatives, I dare say most of the wheat probably didn't have any major issues or concerns at that point in those temperatures and growth stage. And Sean, you know, as I look at the 
at least the 30-day uh, temperature uh, departures from the Midwest Climate Center, you know, I, much of Indiana, frankly, missed the truly, uh, the truly uh, uh, huge dips in temperature. It almost almost stops at the Illinois line. And so I, I think that alone, it may have been cold, but I don't think we had near what they experienced in Illinois and Iowa and, uh, and you know, other parts of those states farther to the west of us. So that's uh, probably a saving shot for us. Yeah, and I think there's, there's a couple other things on this wheat side, and, and it hits forages a little bit too, not to say I'm a forage specialist, but the, the concept is similar that, you know, when we had this snow and it did melt, and then the question would be, did it melt and stay on the surface and then freeze? And so those ponded areas that froze, I mean, that can be an issue for wheat or forages for that matter, maybe even cover crops if they're to overwinter. Um, and then that it kind of seals out off that ground and you don't have that uh, diffusion of oxygen. So, um, you know, the, the roots are still respiring. So there could probably be some death, some plant death within those scenarios if they're frozen ponds essentially in the fields. Uh, so that would be something to look out for if you got any of those kind of crops and fields. Um, the other side on the wheat, kind of last thing on this is that, you know, we get in this freeze-thaw uh, kind of cycle, and then that soil shifts and lifts, and so we have some wheat that maybe have been pushed out of the ground, so that winter heaving is what we call it, that could uh, have some issues with the stand itself and survival. So those, those three things on the wheat side are probably related to the last few weeks, and again, I look out the window, it's <laughs> sunny and what, 55 degrees or 60 degrees, so we're in that kind of cycle now. So given these warm, I mean, unusually warm temperatures at this point, Sean, and the forecast actually for fairly warm for the next week, if not longer, at what point can a person uh, make a good estimation of that survival as this wheat maybe begins to green up? What what should they be looking for and, and you know, how do they make that determination? Yeah, I think we're right, right in that place. I was walking around in my flower bed. And flowers are already starting to, to crack a little bit, right? The irises and, and all that. So, I mean, the wheat's going to be doing the exact same thing. It started to green up. And so, you know, I'd say let this wheat go. And you go into next week, you're still in the 50s and 60s. We're at a great place to say, okay, how is green up really going across the field? And then in that, you can, okay, separate out what's leaf tip burn that's really just more cosmetic versus new growth and tillering and, and any of that. And so if we've got any issues or death, that should be showing up. I mean, really, we're getting pretty active growth. So I would say by next week, um, the second full week of, of March, we're going to see some of those fields. So go ahead and start walking them. Or if we got drones to, to take a look at a, the, mm -hmm. the green index of that field, uh, that's a place to start looking at it. And if we do have issues with whether it's stand loss or for whatever reason they didn't get planted early enough last fall, which they should have. We had a great fall for planting a wheat too. Uh, but if they don't have good tillering, um, now's the point that green up is to get an earlier application of nitrogen to help promote tillering or promote what few tillers you have there to maximize the yield potential. And that's what I was going to ask. Are we entering the prime time for top dressing? I, I think so. There's a lot of people that kind of go back and forth. Are they going to use a dry uh, nitrogen source like urea or AMS, ammonium sulfate, or are they going to do a liquid? And so some of that comes into play, but I, I think you've got to know your fields and what they can withstand in terms of equipment. A lot of people like to go in the morning when it's frozen ground, so you're not tracking it up, and then you look to get a spread versus, okay, now it's not frozen anymore, but it's not exactly solid either. So there's there's got to be that combination of um, field conditions and to make that call. 
Now, on our last Purdue Crop Chat podcast, we talked a lot about drought conditions, especially in northern Indiana. This this intense snow that did come through, uh, Bob, I'll start with you. Did that help at all? Well, you're going to force me to admit that the last time we talked, I said, you bet it was going to help a lot. I am amazed when I look at the drought monitor map. It still it basically hasn't changed over the past three weeks. And so much of the northern third, if not the northern half of Indiana, is at least on the dry side, according to the drought monitor. And there's still a, a sizable, I, I think, Sean, 16 or 20 percent is still in that second category, yeah, you know, more severe category of drought. So it just really intrigues me that this the drought monitor map hasn't changed much over the last three weeks. So, and then if you look at the uh, the precipitation over the past 30 days, it sort of tells you the same story. It's been well below normal in much of the northern half of the state. So, I I think we're still um, you know in, in sort of a touchy situation as we move forward now into the the next growing season. That if we don't get some significant rain or say through the month of March. Um, you know, we could be dealing with some early drought conditions that, you know, we haven't experienced for a while. So it's certainly going to bear watching. And, um, you know, I also looked at the forecast for the rest of this month. I mean, technically it says above normal uh, probabilities for above normal precip, but, you know, that could be a half inch greater than normal. And, you know, and it, you still may not get much out of it. So it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of March plays out. Well, I, I think also I've been surprised because I looked this morning as well that that drought map hasn't really changed. But uh, when did the snow really melt off? At least I'm thinking here locally again, uh, more last week. And so I think probably a lot of people are just yeah. waiting to see, OK, how did it melt? What's left now? What does field looks like as it kind of dries up, if you will, or at least you can see the soil again? So, I mean, that gets updated every right. week, and so and that's going to get updated Thursday. So I'm guessing, you know, don't hold me to it. I'm thinking that's going to change a little bit come Thursday's report. And, but, um, you know, certainly as you move forward to the month of March, that's going to have yep. a big play on what we're going to do, you know, prepping for corn and soybeans. Yeah. Well, you you brought up the next point here, prepping for corn and soybeans. It's uh, it's here, man. It's It's like right on top of us. Planting season <laughs> is right around the corner. Uh, here we are in early March, and uh, conditions are beautiful now. And, and Bob mentioned the forecast looks decent here for a while with some warmer temperatures. Uh, Sean, I know with soybeans we talk a lot about, you know, get them in early, get them in early. Well, how early is too early to start with soybeans? <laughs> That's a great question. I, I always want to ask, where are you uh, planting at and what kind of fields are you planting into? Are they fields that tend to dry out pretty quick? Are you in the southern part of the state or northern? I was on a call this morning, and it just still baffled me that um, they said, yep, we had someone uh, pull the trigger in December. I'm like, what, what? And it's like, well, we've never tried it before, so let's just see what happens. And I'm like, uh, you got, you know, a puffy vest on that thing until it, you know, it comes to March or April. Uh, but in, in realistic terms on on the, uh, the soybean front, you know, April is usually when I, I think about starting to pull the trigger on soybeans based on field conditions and location, right? You know, late April, early May is my general kind of sweet spot across the whole state, but that varies, right? You know, if we got these crawdad soils that don't drain, they're no-till, they're going to be even colder, right? Air temperatures are one thing, but when you still have those temperatures in the soil that are just so cold, they're 45 degrees and they're wet and 
you've got to look at seed treatment. So I, I think that all comes into play. I, I know that a lot of people like to pull the trigger as soon as they get into April. I, I've played the game of doing March planted beans and it's just, they've never worked well for, for me, at least in the central part of the state. Uh, April uh, continues to be a much better play. And now again, you get the Southern third of the state, we can, we can move that up and, and think about early, early April. And I dare say there's some that could probably do March. That's not, necessarily something that I think you have to do or need to do. But if we're talking April, uh, that's a good starting point for a lot of these beans. And that's sort of my concern is, you know, as we look at this forecast for the rest of this month and, you know, it's pretty good probabilities for above normal temperatures. Um, and if we don't get a lot of rain, these, you know, the surface could be drying out pretty quickly in areas of the state. And, um, and, and so, and again, we just sort of start open the, the today's uh, session with, you know, we're all antsy to get out and, and everything. So I, I guess I just throw in that I, I, I'm all for timely field operations, but I, I think it's got to be done wisely. And, and certainly, you know, we've got an opportunity to avoid creating some soil compaction uh, at this point. And, and let's not rush the gun too much and jump in there when uh, surface soils are really not fit to be on and, and, you know, create some surface or shallow compaction. And, you know, those are the kinds of things that can haunt you for the rest of the season. So, you know, I, let's just sort of, you know, sort of be wise about this. Let's not let these nice, warm, sunny days. And I just looked at my weather app at 60 degrees here as we're talking, you know, let's not let these days drive us crazy and make us do some foolish things. And, and, you know, relative to corn, and we've talked about this before, but, you know, yes, planting date is important, but it's also true, as I've said before, you know, late planting is not a kiss of death. And 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 by the same token, early planting is not an automatic 280 bushel corn crop. So, you know, it, it, there are other factors that come into play. And in particular, this time of year, where we usually get uh, frequent, often excessive rainfall events, you know, these fields and the subsequent seed beds, they can become pretty nasty really quick. And all of a sudden you've got a crop that's mudded in or planted in these fields that are not fit and it struggles to emerge. It struggles to get established. And by the time it gets to knee high, you've got a, just an ugly variable height, variable color mess in your hand. So again, I, you know, let's, let's be smart on how we think about the next 30 days and what we do in these fields. And, and, you know, if we're lucky and, you know, everything goes well for the next 30 days, we can start planting in early parts of April, as long as the soils are fit. Um, but, you know, it's the next 30 days are really going to tell the story. Well, I, I think with that, I mean, on soybeans, because you and I go back and forth on this, uh, it's not an absolute, but it's certainly, a, I think, a higher priority on the soybean front and high yielding uh, opportunities to plant timely, uh, more so than corn. And I think a lot of that comes into this combination of the way the, the soybean plant develops. It has photo period responses and heat units. You know, I, I joke that corn's just simple. It's heat unit accumulation essentially, right? And so as long as you get the heat units and you can dry down, you're gonna be good to go. I mean, there's some aspect of getting enough sunlight and that, that energy, but you know, soybeans, we're trying to trick the, the, the plant a little bit and to get more development. If we get a little bit earlier development, we have more nodal development, more opportunities for pods. And then we also usually create uh, internodes that are shorter. So then we have a nice compact plant instead of the one that's up to my chest. So that's a lot of things that I'm playing out with this timely planting of soybeans. Um, on the corn front though, so if you are able to pull the trigger, I want to pull the trigger early April. Um, 
is there anything different that you suggest for the growers at that point versus early May? You know, is there anything in terms of additional management um, on the soybean side, right? We still have somewhat of a choice of whether we have a seed treatment or not. Most cases it's, it's all treated, but corn, that's really not a, a play there, but there's other management aspects that come into play. What, what kind of things do you consider, you know, important with an early planting corn crop? Well, to a somewhat limited degree, you can modify your seeding rates if you assume that the early planted corn is not going to have as high of a success in uh, germination and emergence. Um, whereas when you get out into, say, mid-May or, or, or when soils are uh, have really warmed up, say, to 60 degrees or higher, then your percent success on stand are much, much higher. So, you, so in, in reverse, you can back off a little bit. Other than that, I think when you're pushing it in early April and, and at least in the northern half of the state uh, and you want to push it in early April, it does still come down to temperature. And yes, the corn loves heat and it, it firmly is fueled by heat. And so if those soils are hovering around 50 degrees, even though that's the magic number, the temperature that we've used for years, if you're hovering around 50 degrees and maybe accumulating no more than about five growing degree days per day, that takes a long time for that crop to germinate and emerge and, and simply provides more time for the crop to be exposed to problems. And so that's probably the, it's more of a risk assessment issue in early, in early April, Sean. It's, it's not so much that you're going to change anything you do. It's just that you have to change your risk assessment. And if you're, if you understand that early April cool soils, especially cool wet soils are a very high risk for poor stands, if you decide to accept it, fine. If you can't tolerate that degree of risk, then hold off until soils are warmer. So that's why it comes down to individuals and, and the decisions they make. And I've always said all these years, I only my only goal is to make them understand the risk. And then if they choose to accept it, that's their choice. But I think sometimes people don't maybe assess that risk or they, they just don't either remember what's happened in years past or, or they just sort of ignore the risk. And then when they do get a poor stand, they seem surprised and, and, and upset well, it's sort of, you know, the decision they made when they chose to accept that risk. Well, I mean, you, you want to double down in some cases, you got, you know, $14 beans, right? So let's maximize everything. But I mean, I dare say we want to maximize our profit every year, regardless if it's $14 right. beans or it's 8 $9 beans and same on the right. corn side of things. Um, one thing that comes to my mind when you talk about those temperatures uh, is, is actually two things is, okay, fit the magic 50 degree mark in the soil. Okay, when are we doing that? Is that okay when it's uh, noon, high noon, and you had solar radiation all day long versus yeah. cloudy day, or is that an average? Or because, I mean, it changes. You're talking two-inch mark. There's enough uh, fluctuation in that soil. So when you yeah. say 50 degrees, what are you talking about? Well, you know, interestingly, when you look at all those rules of thumbs, I don't think whoever came up with it never really said <laughs> So my experience all these years, at least what goes through my mind is though that week where you are averaging in the 50s is the week that I feel most comfortable about starting. So that means, yes, you, you may be dipping down to, to 50 or just below, but it's that averaging of 50 for the day is, is sort of my, I guess, lower threshold, if you want to call it that. Um, that plus the forecast, the 10-day forecast that says there's a good prop pop, uh, good probability 
that these temperatures are going to continue to be good and the soils are going to continue to warm. If I see a cold front coming in in the next 10 days and I'm just barely averaging in the 50s, that's where I'm at least going to think twice about getting serious about planting too many acres. Right. And with that, I want to be clear. You said 50 degree average for the day. You're saying a 24 hour period, not the daytime temperature. Right. So, again, just to make that clear for everyone. And I I agree. And that forecast that you're talking about is, you know, it's the temperature of the soil, but it's the temperature of the water that's coming into that seed seed of corn and seed of soybeans, too. Right. Now, that's what's going to have a potential issue as well as just how long does a crop take to establish. Right. And, and, you know, and if you don't have good access to soil temperatures yourself, you know, on on our Indiana climate website, uh, it has uh, temperatures from all the various outlying, uh, primarily Purdue farms that have weather stations. And at the Indiana climate uh, website, it gives you some really nice graphics that show you, you know, soil temperature changes over the past week or maybe actually, I guess, even longer than that. And so it's always good to look at those trends. And, and, and have we been trending up for the past week? And, and that plus a good forecast, boy, that, that really reduces the risk. But if, we, if the last three weeks have been barely hovering around 50 and the forecast is for cold, you just know those temperatures are going to go back down. So, uh, so again, the, the Indiana Climate website is a good place to get some of that recent historical kind of temperature data. And then in terms of the, on the, the corn side, because I've experienced a little bit of this on the soybean side, but it's not widespread. Um, in terms of that cooler wet soils, I mean, what is not occurring on mineralization, right? So do you have any issues or concerns with, okay, I want to put out some starter nitrogen, or if I don't have that set up on my, my planter to have some sort of spread or pre-nitrogen. Mm-hmm. So do you have any suggestions there for those that are pushing planting dates without either a starter or pop-up or whatever you want to look at? Yeah. Well, part of the beauty with the corn plant is that it doesn't really use or take up a lot of soil nutrients until it reaches about the third leaf collar stage. And until then, it's relying primarily on the, the nutrient reserves and the starch of the, of the kernel endosperm. And so there's a little bit of time, in other words, for, for mineralization to occur uh, uh, in the soil. Uh, but if, if you have soils that are poorly drained and therefore they don't warm up as quickly in the spring because they're wet, or if the forecast is simply not good for warm up, then yes, that's one of the possible advantages of starter fertilizer, that concentrated band of nutrients put off to the side of the seed. It's not to encourage rapid germination or that initial emergence. It's really at that V3 transition period where the plants are beginning to run out of the starch reserves and beginning to rely more on what's being taken up by the roots. And that occurs around V3. And 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 then if those roots are struggling at that point in time, that concentrated band nearby is what helps get it through that challenging time until you get more and more and more of the permanent roots established and, and more, uh, more rapidly exploring the soil around it. This is the Purdue Crop Chat Podcast, and we'll be back right after this. Want to check in on your checkoffs? Twice a month, you can do just that with the brand new Move in the Pile podcast. Listen to the most up-to-date news about your corn and soybean checkoff investments, along with a brief market report after every episode. Sign up to receive the podcast today by texting CHECKOFF to 31996 or visit indianasoybean.com slash move in the pile. Brought to you by 
Indiana corn and soybean checkoff dollars. Now your host, Eric Pfeiffer, back with more Purdue Crop Chat. You're listening to the Purdue Crop Chat podcast. I'm Eric. Bob and Sean are here as well. And gentlemen, uh, just, you know, a quick conversation here. Uh, Sean, you mentioned we've got $14 beans out there. And and we were talking a little bit before the podcast about what that might, uh, you know, uh, pique, pique some interest in doing some different things, uh, trying some different things. Just your, your take on that, uh, given where we're at with prices right now. Yeah, I think that uh, somehow our mentality changes uh, when you have higher dollar market price, you're willing to, at least I think it's human nature say, I want to get even more out of it. We're, I dare say that it's when we're even leaner times that we should be even doing that more. So, right. It's like, I can make a mistake at $14 beans and still make money when it's eight, $9 beans. And I make a mistake, I feel it. And so, um, you know, this, this mindset. So I think that there's a lot of push through, you know, year in and year out. But I think even now as we're higher dollar beans, higher dollar corn uh, to try new products. And so whether they're proven or just, Hey, you, all you need is a half a bushel or two bushel or whatever it is to get your return on investment or to have profit. And so I think there's a lot of that being played right now. And so we just have to be mindful of, of those products and those practices. Have they been proven? And if they haven't, there's nothing wrong with looking at them on your farm. But boy, don't go every single acre and not have any level of untreated strips. I mean, I prefer to have strips. So you have some actual replication on farm research, but at a minimum, have some an untreated area to compare to. Um, I, I hate for people to lose out on yield or lose out on money. It's hand in hand by just doing something that's because it's new and uh, it's cheap. It's ten dollars and so you don't even have to get a bushel back to make your money um that's still money lost so so i want to make sure that people are mindful of that as they move forward and to test it in a methodical way and the key thing sean said was is there data to support the the benefits or efficacy of whatever you're looking at because if 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 this input that you're looking at costs two or three or four dollars an acre and it doesn't do anything you're losing two, three, or four dollars an acre, no matter if soybeans are fourteen dollars or eight. You're still losing three or four bucks an acre if it doesn't do anything. So I agree with Sean. I don't think it much matters if it's eight dollar beans or fourteen. Uh, if you're going to lose money, you're going to lose money, and and that's why the importance of making sure that you've got data from somewhere, and especially somewhere that you um, what rely on is maybe is the, sure. the safest thing I can say, independent data that, that has shown a, a consistent benefit to some, albeit cheap input. Um, I, I agree with Sean, do it very minimally on replicated strip trials in one field or maybe a couple of fields, but, but at least trying to get some information that way. Well, and also with that, if it's, let's say there is a little data, but it's minimal. Uh, you're still really peaked in testing because you want to be the first one or out there. I mean, there's those that have that level of, I want to utilize it every season that's possible. Fine, get out there, but also ask the questions now of, okay, how does this product work? What is it supposed to do? And not just do it every field. It's like, oh, this is a product, whatever it is, helps in cool, wet conditions. Okay, I'm going to push it to its max on that and then to make sure I've got a spot that doesn't have that. Right. If it's a product that's handling a disease or a pathogen, doesn't really make much sense. But in a field that really doesn't have the history of that. Right. So let's let's push mm-hmm. it to its envelope. 
Gentlemen, as we wrap up the Purdue Crop Chat podcast today, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk again here soon, uh, maybe before guys get the planners out. But if they do go and rush and get those planners out, any final thoughts from you on planting considerations before we hit the fields uh, this spring? Bob, I'll start with you. I think I think relative to the planting operation itself, I mean, yes, we feel like we're we're the time is coming very very soon, but in fact, it probably is at least thirty days away. So, let's take these these final thirty days and simply make sure that all the equipment is in good working order, mm-hmm. because once we do get going strong, we certainly don't want any downtime during the heat of planting. So, let's just let's just double down now. Make sure everything is up to snuff. Make sure everything you've ordered has actually arrived and 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 is in the in the barn and you you've got everything set up you know what you're going to do and just be prepared to hit it hard when conditions do become fit and take advantage of the time we have now during march yeah on the soybean side as mm-hmm. I, I think about that you talk about equipment that's going to be an echo uh, look at the seed too you've got it in the, in the barn hopefully already if not soon uh, make sure it's got the seed treatments that you want. Look at germ scores. I mean, on the soybeans, uh, I haven't heard of any issues, but you never know. There's seed lots that come in below what you really want. We expect 90% or above is what we want, but 85, 80% germ lots are certainly possible. So know what you have and uh, to be able to, okay, I'm going to adjust my seeding rate because I'm putting out 10% less live seed and, and to move forward. Or it's got the seed treatment that I, that's the one I'm going to start with. I tried to hedge my bets a little bit on the inputs. And so I've got some untreated versus treated. Just make sure you got those documented where you're putting those and, and moving forward. Bob Nielsen, Sean Castile, the Purdue Crop Chat Podcast. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, planting season is right around the corner. Bob says 30 days. So that's that's not too far away. Giddy up. This has been Purdue Crop Chat, a regular series featuring Purdue Extension's Dr. Bob Nielsen and Dr. Sean Castile, made possible by the Indiana Corn and Soybean Checkoffs, the Indiana Corn Marketing Council, and the Indiana Soybean Alliance. The checkoffs are pleased to help bring you agronomy insights from Purdue Extension. Purdue Crop Chat was moderated by Hoosier Ag Today's Eric Pfeiffer. I'm Andy Eubank for Purdue Crop Chat, a service of Purdue University Extension. And who's your ag today? Timely, relevant, credible.